0: Merry Christmas, everyone. This episode of Physically Spiritual, for the holidays, we're going to take a deep dive into the incarnation. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I'm captivated by discovering the truth about my body and how it reveals God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. Merry Christmas, everyone. If anyone's watching this, I know most of the audience listens to the show, but, but those of you that do actually watch on YouTube or Facebook might recognize something is missing. For this episode, I have no computer. I have no notes. I normally, before these episodes, I, I, I scour my brain. I'm reading books. I'm pulling in scripture quotes and catechism quotes, and, and I'm, I'm researching to prepare for the show. But for this episode, I wanted to do something a little different and for the holidays to be a little less prepared and a little more on the cuff. And hopefully, my hope is also a little more, uh, just a little more friendly. Not that I'm not friendly normally, but let me know what you think. If you like this format, um, I could introduce more episodes that are more of me just, just ranting. You know, this is what you're supposed to do on podcasts, right? It's, it's uh, underqualified people speaking overconfidently about topics for which they're not qualified to talk about. So in the honor of that this Christmas, I bring you an ad lib podcast. The mystery of the incarnation is at at the center of Christianity. This word incarnation, carnation, like the word carnal, the same word that our flower carnation comes from, refers to the body in the flesh. So it's the, the second person of the most holy eternal trinity, the son, taking on a human nature, becoming fully God and fully human while being a divine person. So this this incarnation took place at a specific time when the angel Gabriel came to the Blessed Virgin Mary and Jesus was announced to her. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit overpowered her and Jesus was conceived in her womb. There's there's a a profound beauty and fittingness to this incarnation. And I'm not going to primarily think about and, and focus on Kind of the theological mystery of the incarnation, it just uh you can get that a lot of places. What I want to talk a little bit here about is uh, how Jesus coming in human nature is fitting for human nature, or another way to say this is how how Jesus becoming human is the way to save other humans, right? Jesus could have just a, a appeared in the sky, God could have performed some kind of theophany, a, a massive miracle or, or a voice coming down from heaven or just handing someone the Bible from heaven or on a magical tablet and revealed his nature that way and saved us through an, a, a divine act and not a human act. Right? God could have done that, but he didn't. He chose to save humanity by becoming human and i want to argue that this this matches our design this matches human nature the way god designed us to receive and it also fits in a way that blesses us in a way we wouldn't be blessed if jesus wouldn't be human let me go through a few uh ideas from from science a few ideas that I've explored in previous episodes of this show as to why this makes sense. The first thing we need to consider is the way that humans are formed. When I say formed here, I don't just mean the the physical aspects of your body forming in your your mother's wombs or or your, your body growing and healing and regenerating as you get older. And I don't mean here information. I mean formation in the sense that the church uses the term formation. The four pillars of formation, spiritual formation, human formation, intellectual formation, and pastoral formation. So the ability to learn about God, to live in a way according with our human nature, to act like God, to uh, to be able to pray and have a relationship with God, and then finally to be able to share God with others. These four pillars of formation. Well, the way this human formation pillar works I believe correlates very strongly to the way that God designed our central nervous system. So in season two, I had an episode called Half-Brain Christianity, and I'll throw that episode in the show notes if you want to go back to get a a, a fuller look at this. But the way our brain is designed is our brain is actually kind of like a dual processor. And some people have called this the lateralization of the brain, essentially being right-brained or being left-brained. Everyone is, in fact, both right and left brained now the, the the one side of the brain runs more on information on data. It's more involved with with uh, thinking about things, learning concepts. It's more involved with language. The other side of the brain is more emotionally involved. It runs on connection on on the experience of the world around you as. As your body experiences it, and when thinking about this, we we need to hold on to the distinction between detection and perception. So our our bodies are continuously taking in experience of the world around us, and we're only consciously perceiving a certain fraction of that experience. But the rest of that experience, our our body is is absorbing. It's it's us. We're actually. Uh, detecting this thing it's it's us receiving it but we're not becoming conscious of it well this this more emotional side of the brain is much more involved in this detection process and less so involved in the perception process now all this is our, our generalizations and I'm, I'm building up to make a make a point on these generalizations so when we are in a place where we're dysregulated what i mean by that is we're in a place where we're we're not comfortable. We don't feel safe. Maybe we're hungry. Maybe we're angry. Maybe we're lonely. Maybe we're tired. But for whatever reason, uh, there's there's something not optimal about our environment. So our 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 fight flight system is activated. When we're in this state, our our body's down regulating, deactivating that more logical, rational, language part of our brain. And the part that's more in control is that more relational side. That more connection-oriented side. And the way this relational side of the brain solves for what to do is it doesn't ask, what should I do as in like thinking about a law or thinking about uh, what's moral or what's ethical. The way this side of the brain processes that information is by asking the question, what do my people do? What do my people do? And we learn we become a people and we we learn about our people by being with them by spending time with them by being connected to them so if we look at how jesus goes about his public ministry how he tries to deliver the gospel to the people before he dies for them and rises for them he does it by building primarily by building relationships And there's a mystery in the Gospels called the Messianic secret. And this Messianic secret is that throughout the Gospels, Jesus is telling people not to tell people about him. He's telling them, don't go tell the crowds uh, that this happened. Don't go tell your village that this happened. Kind of keep a lid on things. And I think one of the reasons he did this is because the ultimate trajectory of his ministry was to die. right? And marching into Jerusalem with an army and, and having... 100,000 people following him probably wasn't going to be helpful to accomplish that. So while the people did gather around him when he got to Jerusalem, he didn't bring an army with him into the city. He just brought his followers, his apostles and the women that followed him in the small community that he formed. I think the the other reason, one of the other reasons why he's doing this Messianic secret, why he's not trying to get a huge group of people following him in his lifetime, is, is because his goal is to form a small community, to form a small group. He has these 12 apostles, these 12 men and the women around that he lives with. And by living with these men, he's forming them. He's not just giving them a bunch of new information, a new proclamation of the gospel, a new law. He is doing that. They're learning his words, but they're also learning from his body. Jesus is literally Tuning the apostles' nervous systems to train them not just to uh, to think like God thinks, but to act how God would act, and we see this as a process that as their nervous systems are tuning with Jesus's nervous system, as he's sort of the alpha of the pack or the chief of the tribe, and they're looking to him to, to regulate their reactions, and and. Their kind of basic formation they got from their families and throughout their life is now being being reprogrammed by an in-flesh encounter with Jesus Christ. There's times when they succeed, and there's times when they fail. But it's through the experience of Jesus' love in his body that they're going through a transformation of heart. And this is beautifully illustrated in the Gospel of John through the passion narratives and the resurrection, that the gospel of John is the only one who, when things really get bad, when the chief of the tribe is is arrested and put to death, John comes back before Jesus dies. And I don't think it's accidental that John identifies himself as the disciple who Jesus loves. Jesus obviously loved all of the disciples, he expresses his loves in a beautiful, tender way with Judas, the way he, he's vulnerable to Judas. He receives Judas's kiss, the way he, uh, he just stays in relationship with Judas, even though he knows about his betrayal. John's different than the rest of the disciples, not because Jesus loves him more, but because John knows Jesus' love. And he doesn't just know it as an idea. He also knows it In his flesh, so this enables John to act differently than the other apostles, because his heart has been more transformed by the experience of Jesus's love. And then, as Peter's getting um, getting sort of redeemed by his of his threefold denial of Jesus at the charcoal fire, what does Jesus say, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me, right? It's 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 this exchange of love between persons that reforms the human heart. And in the incarnation, this is what Jesus offered the apostles. Cuz Jesus came to form apostles, and then the apostles' job was to form the church. So ultimately the trajectory was to the coming of the Holy Spirit and the formation of the church. But in Jesus's lifetime, and even in the resurrection, Jesus is equipping these men, this small community, to then go out and spread it. And then the way they spread it was they went out and they formed relationships. If you read the Acts of the Apostles, if you read the the writings of St. Paul, it's filled with the, the followers of Jesus being together. Paul was always with companions and he mentions it all the time of who was with him, send this person to me. And, and all throughout it, he's expressing it with these words of love, that they're so dear to him, that they're so important to him, that they're precious to him, that they, that they've blessed him in all these different ways. The, the whole framing of Paul's letters are, are, are in these relationships of connection. Before Paul even goes into his ministry, he spends years with the church in Antioch. What? Forming relationships. He had all the head knowledge, but he needed a transformation of heart. And God knows this has to happen in the context of humanity, in the context of human relationships. And I believe Jesus invites us into this too, that we're called to have an in-flesh relationship with him, an incarnational relationship with him. And we do this in three different ways. We experience him In our body, through our prayer life, prayer is a physical activity as well as a spiritual activity. And if we imagine God in the scriptures, our body reacts to him. We we form our body by meditating on Jesus's life. We encounter God through our relationships with one another. Christ intended us to experience him in and through the church. We're meant to be his hands and feet. The catechism actually signifies that that we experience uh, in the indwelling of God in us, that Jesus is present in a different way than he is in the Eucharist. So there's a way that we make Christ manifest to the world in a way that the blessed sacrament can't. So there's this reciprocity between the community gathered, the body of Christ as manifested in the church, and then the body of Christ as manifested in the Eucharist. And this is the final way that we experience Jesus in the flesh by receiving him body, blood, soul, and divinity. So I wanna to propose to you, as you're thinking about your Christmas this year, the great celebration of Jesus's birth, of this, this uh, manifestation of the incarnation in space and time, that, that, that we, could, uh, we could form our Christmases that we can encounter Christ in the way that Jesus himself uh, brought himself to be encountered in the incarnation, that we'd spend some time in prayer with the scriptures, encountering Jesus in our bodies as we contemplate him, as we meditate on him, and as our body reacts to the thoughts of our Lord in the scripture. And as then we have a conversation with him through, through the gift of the virtue of faith that makes God real to us, present to us, in a way that we experience him. And then we also encounter God in our family and friends, that we connect with real people who are the body of Christ to us, who are the hands and feet of our Lord, feeding us and and comforting us and being present to us as we feed and comfort and be present to them, that we try to have an authentic encounter where we, we really share of ourselves in conversation, where we try to open up. This is a big challenge for me, I'm, I have a wonderful family I get to gather with, but I, I struggle to open up and just to figure out what to say in the conversations. My introversion really comes out. But then finally, we also encounter Jesus as a community, as a church in the Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity, that we could be consumed by him as we consume him, that we eat him and take him into us and have a, a flesh-on-flesh encounter with the risen Lord and by, by doing this, we, we encounter Christ in a way that anticipates the heaven and anticipates the kingdom of God. And in this in-flesh encounter with Jesus, our nervous system is, is reorganized, our hearts are changed, and we become more actually what we proclaim ourselves to be, the body of Christ. So Merry Christmas, everyone. And I hope this year, as we reflect on the incarnation you could have an experience of Jesus Christ in your body this Christmas. Thank you so much for being a part of Physically Spiritual. Every moment of the show you've watched, know that I'm grateful that you've given your time to this. I'm so passionate about the message that I'm trying to share, and I'm excited about the future of the show. So thank you for every like, every view, every watch, every follow, every comment, every rating you give in the show. And a special thank you to all you that are already members of the Awaken Nation. So thanks again for supporting the show.